Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. At First Baptist, we exist to love God, love people, and make disciples. We hope you find yourselves blessed, encouraged, and challenged by this week's message. For all things First Baptist, how you can get involved, or for more information, you can follow us on social media, YouTube, or visit us at fbcrockhill.org. So excited to be here with you guys again. This is my third year in a row that to come back here that Steve and Steve keep in, inviting me back. So at least there's two people that seem to be enjoying it. So I, I hope if you didn't like it last year, the year before, maybe third time's a charm. We'll see. Uh, but I, I'm glad to be here with you guys as we're going to spend um, one, at least once a, once a year, we're going to get together together and just talk about family and, and raising our kids and grandkids and some best practices. And um, here's my kids, my whole family here. My wife and I have been married for uh, 30 years. And uh, this is about four years ago, five years ago, I think. So I, need, I should update that. We just took new pictures for Christmas, but I can't keep up with them. Anyway, Bailey is... Um, Bailey is now 26, and uh, my son, and he is in his last semester at university. He's taken, he's taken the dad's route to get to uh, graduate from college, and so he's in his last semester of graduating in technical writing, and Ashlyn, my youngest, is uh, now her second year of teaching high school, and um, this is my kid with dyslexia, who is a high school English teacher, so yes, God has a sense of humor there, and then um, Mona, my wife, she she, um, she majored in journalism and was a newspaper editor. And then I've written four books. So there's lots of words and people use words that were, I'm just like, I don't even, not even heard this word before. I'm just trusting you. It's a word, you know? Um, so if you come to our house, you better use proper diction because it's important to all of us. But um, I, we've loved every phase of being a parent. I mean, from the time they were like little kids and, you know, their bodies are like jello and, you know, just trying to figure out how to move and how to walk. And I, I, I honestly, we would look back in I, the first year or two, we cannot remember watching television at all because they were our entertainment. They were way more entertaining than anything on television. And it was free, you know? So, um, and then, you know, getting to the years of uh, elementary school where they're just have tons of energy and building forts in the backyard and riding bikes and, you know, swimming all that. It was just it was so much fun. And they get to middle school where, you know, their brains fell asleep and didn't work anymore. And they were just emotional and full of hormones. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they, you know, they became like you guys, you know, that their brains woke up in high school and, you know, they became alive again and we're having real life conversations. And, uh, and then the only phase of parenting that's really caught us off guard is like parenting adult kids. Anyone in that phase right now? Yes, I, I honestly, I think we could take a moment in the service and just gather around and lay hands on those of us that are parenting adult kids because I was really not prepared for this. I just, I, you know, the whole idea now, my kids on a weekly basis still come to my home or call or text and want advice want to get my opinion on something, just want me to help them process something and then happen in their life. And then sometimes at the end, they're like, okay, thanks a lot, dad. And I, and I know when they say thanks a lot, dad, that's like their way of saying, I'm going to do something different. And I'm like, but wait a minute. No, no, no that's, but I just told you the right thing. Like I, what I'm telling you is the truth. And they're like, yeah, I get it. That's just not the way I would do it. I'm like, why did we have this conversation then? You know, it's just frustrating. And, and my friends keep going, I want you to write that book 
book. And I'm like, let me just live it for a while first, you know? Because right now the book may be a little frustrating, you know, in, in my opinion. And we've all had those, those times with our kids. And, you know, I, we, we, were, we, we taught them, all of us, we taught our kids how to brush their teeth. We taught them how to their proper manners. We, you know, we taught them how to study, most of us. You know, we, we taught them how to ride a bike. Anyone remember the bike riding days? Teaching your kid to ride? Yeah, that was a fun day, wasn't it? Riding a bike. That was, I don't communicate with sarcasm, so that's about as sarcastic as I get. But um, yeah, that, I don't remember anything fun about teaching your child how to ride a bicycle. I remember with Bailey, my youngest, my kids are totally opposite. With Bailey, if, if I call Ashlyn right now and I say, hey, there's a new Marvel movie that just came out last night. Do you want to go see it tonight? She'll go, yeah, just tell me where to be. If I tell Bailey, if I say, hey, Bailey, a new Marvel just movie came out yesterday. Do you want to go see it? What, what time is it? What theater? Are we going to the theater with the reclining seats? Do I have to bring anything with me? Are you bringing the snacks? Or can it not be the late show? Because I got to get some sleep before work tomorrow. Like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, would you just relax? Like they, they are just totally opposite people in every regard. And I love them both passionately. But Bailey... I remember the day we were riding the bicycle around the block and he had his training wheels, which means as an adult, I'm having to ride my bicycle as slow as humanly possible so as he can keep up with me. And so I, I, we got back to the driveway and I said, Bailey, I have a great idea. I said, why don't we take your training wheels off today? And he said, why would we do that? And I said, because he does not like change. And I said, well, if you take your training wheels off, then you can go as fast as you want on your bicycle. And he said, I don't mind riding slow. And I said, but if you take your training wheels off, then like we can go in the woods and we can ride on the trails and you can jump over ramps and you, like, you can ride your bicycle in the street even. And he said, I don't mind riding on the sidewalk, dad. And so I pulled out what I thought was like the dad card, and I said, well, all big kids ride without training wheels. And he said, I don't mind being a little kid, dad. <laughs> so I said, Bailey, do you trust me? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, we're gonna take your training wheels off, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your hands on the handlebars. I want you to look straight ahead. I want you to just keep pedaling, do everything like you've always done with the training wheels, but now you're gonna do the same thing without the training wheels, and everything is gonna be fine. And he said, okay, Dad, but just promise me you won't take your hand off of the seat, okay? And I said, of course I won't. Don't laugh, you lied to your kids too. <laughs> All of us did, and I don't know what happened if he heard my voice getting further and further away as I'm going, great job, Bailey, you're doing so well. And he turns his head to look and see where I am, and he wrenched the handlebars, and he hit the curb, flipped over his bicycle. He rolls onto the sidewalk, and I come running down the street, and I said, Bailey, that was so awesome. You made it so much further than I thought you were going to. I am so proud of you, Bailey. And he looked up, and he said, you lied to me. I said, I know, but it wasn't for your harm. It was for your good. Like, like you, you, you had to do this. And he said, I said, I'm so proud of you. So let's get up and let's get back on your bicycle. And he goes, no, I'm done riding my bicycle. And I said, Bailey, unfortunately, I can't let you not ride your bicycle. You have to get back on the bicycle because if you don't learn to ride it without falling, then you'll never get the freedom of what it really means to ride a bicycle. 
And so he got back on the bicycle and then he made it three times as far before he fell and then he made it around the block before he fell and then he didn't fall anymore at all. And he no longer needed me to teach him how to ride a bicycle. And our kids are going to experience the same thing. And I mean, not just when it comes to a bicycle, but as they get older, they're gonna experience all kinds of crashes, all kinds of fallings in their life where they feel like even sometimes the wheels have come off the bicycle of their life. Sometimes they feel like the whole car has come off the tracks, like completely off the road in their life. I mean, there's, there's really three different kinds of like, like falling crashes that your kid is gonna experience in life. And one of them are these, these unprovoked circumstances. They're just things that happen in life that no one's to fault, no one's to blame. It's, they didn't do anything wrong. It's just, it's just a circumstance that came about. You know, a, a, a friend moved you know, their, their team disbanded. You know, they, they had to go from the school that they liked and now they moved schools. It could be that like, like you come home tomorrow and you say to your kids, oh my gosh, you're not gonna believe this. My boss gave me a raise and he's doubling my salary. Isn't that incredible? And your kids are like, woohoo, electric bikes for Christmas for everyone. You know, like we're getting the lake house now. I'm getting a boat this summer. You know, the celebration. And then you say, okay, so here's the deal. We got about three weeks to get packed okay packed packed for what and you say well because we're moving to Idaho and your 10 year old is like Idaho that's awesome do they have elk in Idaho that's awesome let's go but your 14 year old's going Idaho who lives in Idaho I'm not moving to Idaho what about my, my soccer team I can't leave my friends I, I I love my school I'm not going to Idaho and for this this is like a train wreck this is not an opportunity this sounds like a tragedy for them and again, nothing, nothing is, they didn't do anything wrong. It's just a life thing that happened. Or it could be an unmet opportunity. That's these things that they work for, they strive for, they dream about, and they just don't quite come together for them sometime. You know, maybe it's a, your daughter wants to be the lead in the school play, and she tries out every spring and every fall, but all she ever gets is the chorus. Maybe your son wants to be on the field just once before his team is ahead by 34 points. And he's at every practice, every workout. He does all the meal plans, but no matter what, he's always at the end of the bench thinking, why can't I be in the game? You know, maybe it's the 10th grade girl that just says, why do I have to sit at home for every school dance? Why can't I have just one date? Maybe it's the middle schooler even here right now that just thinks, why can't I have a best friend? Everyone else has a best friend. Why can't I have that kind of friend? And they just try and they dream and just for whatever reason, these things happen that make them feel like a failure, that make them feel unseen. That's a huge phrase for this generation. They feel like they're not seen. And so these things make your kids feel unseen, feel unattractive, unattainable, that they're, they're a failure, they're not good enough, not smart enough, not pretty enough. Or it could be these issues of moral compromise is the train wreck for them. These, these moments where I think what God asks of us as parents is really simple. Like our job as a parent is very simple. Now the way that we live out what he asks of us is incredibly complex, especially if you have more than one kid. The more you have, the more complex it becomes. And, and what he requires of us is this, is that God has created boundaries for life. 
You know, some of us wrongly call them rules, but they're boundaries. And his boundaries provide protection. They provide identity for us. They provide love for us. They provide a, a hope for us. They provide stability for us. And as long as you live within his boundaries, we don't have to live, we can live without the consequences of, of difficult moral choices outside of those boundaries. We don't have to lose our reputation. We don't have to we struggle with our identity if, if we live within his boundaries. But then sometimes our kids, like what God asks of us is this, it's that my job is to speak truth, walk in truth, and model truth. Speak truth, walk in truth, and model truth. That's it. And every day with you and your kids is a journey to figure out how do I speak truth, walk in truth, and model truth to my kids today. Because what happens is every time that you do that, you're putting a stone in the pathway of their life, a spiritual stone. Those conversations, those experiences together, when you pray together, when you walk together, when you're on the way off in church, you debrief the service together, when you, you know, uh, speak encouraging words to them. All those things are these spiritual stones that provide a spiritual path in their life that's gonna be important for them later. And, and our kids, they're gonna do what each of us did at some point in time. They are going to invoke the just clause. You, you, you know the just clause, don't you? I mean, we did it many times when we were in high school, college. That clause that says, God, I recognize your boundaries. I know what your good is for me. I know what you made me for, what you designed me for, the relationship you called me to. But God, just, just this one time, I, I want to experience that. Like just this one time, I want to be touched like that. Just this one time, I want to be kissed like that. This one time, I want to taste that. This one time, I want to be with someone like that. This one time, I want that experience. But then what happens to many of our kids is they invoke the same clause that we did, which is the just one more time clause that says, I want to feel that again. For the first time in my life, I feel attractive. For the first time in my life, I feel loved. I feel accepted. I feel like I, I have a, a tribe. I have a people. I have friends. And, and I want to keep that. I want that same feeling of euphoria. And so just this one more time, just this one more place, okay, just one more taste, just this one more experience. And then our kids end up so far outside of God's boundaries, they're lost metaphorically in the spiritual woods and can't find their way home anymore. And it's our job to speak truth, walk in truth, and model truth for them. And I think many of us are living today, right now in this room, you're living with the weight of one of the greatest spiritual lies from our enemy. And it's this, that if you have done your job to speak truth, walk in truth, and model truth, and your child says to you, mom, dad, I've heard it, I've seen it, you've walked with me in it, but that's not what I want for my life, then that is not on you. That is not on you to carry as a badge of failure that you somehow are not good enough as a mom or dad. Because the enemy comes to us and he says, oh, you know why she acts that way, don't you? Because you weren't very attentive as a mom. You know, he wouldn't act like that. He wouldn't talk to people that way if you had paid more attention to him. And see, I, I, I know, I know with assurance that I did my job to speak truth, walk in truth, and model truth, 
But I also know I can no longer control their choices. It's got to be up to them, the journey that they want for their life. And so they're gonna, they're gonna happen, is they're gonna walk off that path many times. Matter of fact, it's not just, sometimes we see a whole generation now that has walked off of that path, walked away from the spiritual path that was laid in front of them. Now, t- today on your way home, if you think about it, I want you to pull out your phone and I just want you to Google, just with your voice, I want you to say, how many, what is the percentage of millennials that have walked away from their faith? Because you can do it right now, and I'll tell you the number is this. Millennials, those are our roughly like 21 to 32-year-olds. That's like the last generation of teenagers. That Right now, it's 59%, roughly 6 out of 10 of all of them that were raised in church. 6 out of 10 of them are saying, I want nothing to do with church anymore. It's not just millennials, it's Gen Z. Millennials now also, one out of three of them are saying, I never want to, I don't want anything at all to do with faith. Nothing to do with spirituality. I don't want anything, any religion at all in my life. More than one out of three. It's 40% of all Americans of any age range, 40% are saying, I want nothing to do with religion at all. They're now a-religious. We have never in our country's history had this high of numbers. There was just a survey done by the Barna Group among teenagers. This is what we call Gen Z. Among teenagers, asking them about their faith experience. And the question was this, do you live your life according to a biblical worldview? Meaning, do you live your life according to the tenets of conservative Christian faith? The answer, Four percent. Just feel the weight of that. Because guys, we wonder why our churches are aging. Did you know that every single Christian denomination in America is shrinking, including your own? Every one of them are shrinking. None of them are growing. We are all aging out. Why? Because we raised a generation of teenagers of 20-somethings who are saying, I no longer want anything to do with that. When I talk to my own children about this experience and like, why are so many of your friends want nothing to do with church anymore? My daughter's exact words were this. She said, Dad, they don't, they don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with what? The church. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a Jesus problem. They don't look at him and say there's anything wrong with him. He's saying there's something wrong with us. They're saying that us, we as adults, have become anti-women, anti-homosexual, anti-race, anti-science. We're anti-compassion. We're, We're known by what we're against instead of who we are, who we've called to be. I mean, Jesus made it so simple. This is my one job for my kids. Go love, love their friends, love other people, and love them. I love my children unconditionally. Why? Because when they do walk off the path, they're gonna remember all of those stones, all those memories that we had together where all the conversations, all the words I spoke into them about who you are, what it means for you to be God's daughter, what it means for you to be God's son. So when all these other voices come at them, the hope is they remember all those stones, they remember the conversations, all the words that we've spoken together. Do you see this? And guys, if if we're going to reach them Those that have walked away, we've got to change not just our message. We've got to change how we live out our message. 
or otherwise we're, we're done. In the next two generations, we're gonna be like, it's gonna, it'll be just like Europe where our churches are nothing more than museums that we come to to take pictures of what life used to be like 100 years ago in America. We see it happen over and over in scripture of children that were raised in faith and walked away. If you got your Bibles, open with me to Luke chapter, chapter 15. I promise I do have my Bible up here with me, but um, I'm over 50 now, and I can't see real well anymore. And so I, I may look at the screen just to have it up here with me. There's a story that you've heard many times before. I'm guessing a lot of you, if you're a professional Christian like me, like, you know, you're raised in church your whole life. And so if so, you've heard the story. And what happens is when we've heard the story before, then we like shut our brains off and close our hearts in church because we're like, oh yeah, I know this one. I've heard Steve do this several times. I could do this one right now if you give me the microphone, mister. But I'm asking you just to kind of maybe have your eyes, your ears, your heart open to see if maybe there's some things happening here that we didn't see before. So Jesus tells a story about, in this whole chapter, about lostness. He talks about the lost coin. He talks about the lost sheep. And now he talks about this lost son. And each of the stories is a little bit different. And I think part of the point of the story isn't the lostness, but part of the point of the story is the celebration once there is foundness. Does that make sense? Once the sheep is found, once the coin is found, once the son is found. And we spend so much of our time, our time, talking about that thing that was lost instead of the celebration that happened after it was found. But the story starts off about these two sons. And it says, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, back in those days, women didn't have any rights to ownership. So the only way that you had anything was through marriage. And so if you're a daughter, you had no rights to ownership. And so uh, it was a patriarchal society, a male-oriented society. And then also, if you are the eldest, so if you had four sons, then today, if you're like my two children, my will you know, states that each of my children get 50-50 if their mother and I both die at the same time. Then each of them get 50-50. But if we were living according to those days, but like in our modern culture, what would happen is it wouldn't be 50-50 because the eldest gets what's called the birthright. The birthright means that the eldest gets a double portion of the total. So my son would get two-thirds and my daughter one-third. Do you see this? Okay, so then the son goes to his father and says, I want you to give me my one-third. We don't know if there's more than two children. Jesus, maybe his point is simply to talk about the response of these two sons. I don't know. Sometimes he really makes these stories simple for you know, those of us that are dummies in the room, all right, like myself. So these two sons, the oldest is gonna get the majority. The, son, the, the youngest goes to his father and says, give me what's mine. Now this is completely unheard of because the father is still alive. I mean, your children, now, like today, my, um, my, my, my son's uh, grandfather died, and so his grandmother inherited everything, but she decided to give him $5,000 to help him buy a new car recently. And you know, you can get, do a gift to your son, but she's not gonna sell her, part of her estate and give it to her grandchildren because she's still alive, I mean, just like this father. So for this son to go to his father and say, give me what is mine, what's owed to me once you die, what he's this is the most like disrespectful thing that he could say to his father because he's saying to him I'm going to treat you relationally as if you're dead as if you're already gone you're in the grave you're now insignificant to me 
Just give me what you will give me when you die. Give it to me now. Now, there's two ways that you acquired wealth back then. It was either through possession of land or livestock. Now, this one in this story, we know it's land because he says that he had lots of property. So if you, you didn't have cash laying around, you didn't have bank accounts, you had possessions. So now the father has to go and sell part of his land. Now, if you're selling it on the quick, like for instance, if you found out that I was in financial trouble and you came to me and said, hey, I know you're in trouble. You need to get some quick cash. You sell me your house and you'll have some cash. What's gonna happen is you're gonna make me sell it to you less than what it's worth. And that's what happens to this father as well. He's gonna have to get taken for a ride financially in order to give the son what's gonna get to him whenever the dad dies. I mean, it's, it's awful and publicly humiliating for the father. Because he's got to go to people in his village and say, hey, my son wants his stuff now. Like when I, kick my, when I die a few years from now, he wants it now. So um, you want to buy some of my property? They're like, you're doing what? I mean, it's just awkward all around. Then it says the son, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. When it says that he went off to a far country, what Jesus is, do you notice he doesn't tell us where he went? Jesus, Jesus understands topography. He understands uh, geography, which is why he talks about Samaria and Damascus and Jerusalem and things like this. But here, he simply says the son goes away to a far country, meaning he is so far removed, we don't even know where it is. It's like uncharted territory. He's gone to like the never world, basically. Does that make sense? Like he's saying, he has gone as far as he possibly can from anyone that knows that he is part of this family, from anyone that knows his name's sake. I, I got two friends right now. One of them has a son that's 22, the other one that's 27. The 22, both of these kids grew up in church their whole life, went to youth group, went to summer camps, youth camps, youth choir, the whole deal. The 22-year-old went off to college and got involved with a new set of friends that were um, not just unchurched, but were very hostile to um, spirituality in general. I mean, not just Christian faith, but anything. It was all, to them, all of it was just emotional control. And so they began to talk to him about this and his experience growing up in church. And that was just your, your parents trying to control you, your parents trying to guilt you, your parents trying to manage your life for you. Uh, you're, 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 you're. Anyway, so after, uh, while he's at college, he decides, says to his mom and dad, I no longer want anything to do with this faith. And as long as you're a part of it, I can't have a relationship with you either. And now these parents that are still paying for his way through college haven't spoken to their son in two years. The other ones were our best friends as adults for the last 20 years. Like we would go rock climbing, backpacking, splunking together with this family. We've known their kids since they were three and a newborn. And now the three-year-old's grown up uh, four years ago at the age of 23, got married and to someone outside of his faith who is never had anything to do with Christianity. And two months into his marriage, the wife said, your mother makes me feel uncomfortable. Your family makes me feel judged. I feel like they always look down on me because you guys are in church and I'm not. And I, I don't want to have anything to do with them. And now it's been four years since they've spoken to their son because he has decided, well, I can't figure out how to do this. So I'm just not going to have a relationship with you and church anymore. I mean, I, I can't imagine the grief 
the sorrow that they're going through, just that emptiness that they feel in their life because of this, just this whole relationship that's come off the tracks. And when this happens to our kids, we, 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 we can bear the burden with them. We can walk with them through these difficult experiences, but we have to walk with them without making everything right. We have to walk with them through these difficult circumstances without removing natural consequences in their life. You know, it's not my job and your job to, to remove all the curves from life and, and pull life straight for your children so that as they look ahead, it's just a perfectly, you know, smooth path with no rocks in the way and for them to travel down. No, there's going to be difficulties in life. And I mean, for us as adults, you can look back and say, that's my greatest time of growth in my life. And that's where I learned how to rely on God the most is when the factory shut down and when I lost my job and when our marriage was on the rocks and when I lost my friends and when I had the health crisis. And I mean, that's when like, like spiritually, you feel like you really connected with God more deeply. And I don't want to rob my children from that experience. I can't remove natural consequences from their life. You know, when my kids get a speeding ticket or, you know, get in trouble at school or that kind of thing and be like, I can, I can step in. I can, you know, I got a friend who's a police officer and I'll talk to him and I'll get this speeding ticket taken care of. And now he just learns that mom and dad can fix everything. I can't be my children's savior. I don't want to be my children's savior. You know, I, I've taught my children their whole life that mom and dad, we work a job and it's part of our job. When we work with integrity, then we get paid. And, and when we use our gifts, our abilities, our passions to do our job, we get rewarded with a paycheck. But God is the one that provides for our family. He provided my career. He provides our home, our vehicles, our education. All that is the gift from him that we want to humbly accept. And I've taught my children that because God forbid something ever happened to me. I don't want my children's life to spiral out of control because now their savior is gone. The one that, that manages everything in their life is gone. No, I can walk with them through those difficult experiences, but I want to teach them to rely on him that made them, to rely on the one that, that created them, that knows them. You know, those times when, when the wheels begin to come off in your kid's life, there's some, some things, I know we're running out of time, but some things that you can do to respond well. One of them is to, you know, share your own life experiences. Share, share your own, um, you know, those times where God has pruned things from your own life. You know, those things where God has removed something from your life that you perceived to be good back in your 20s, back when you were in college because you were dating someone else and you thought, oh my gosh, this is gonna be the, my best friend for life, my spouse for life. And God was like, oh no, no, no. I got someone way better in mind for you, honey, you know? And all of a sudden he brought him instead, you know, of the other guy, right? You know what I'm saying? And you're like, of course he brought me. You know, that's what you're thinking, right? You know, because, you know, we think we have this plan for our life and God's going, no, no, no. I've got to remove this job. I've got to remove this experience that feels painful at the time and when that happens to your kids share your own experiences with that with them you know invite your children into your own spiritual valleys and mountaintops guys I think one of the reasons why so many of our millennials and Gen Z have left church have left the faith is because we've communicated a false faith to them we've, we've explained the Christian journey wrong to them 
How, how many of you were raised in church like me? You're a professional Christian, raise your hand. Any of you guys ever go to youth camp, church camp, that kind of thing? Yeah, so this is, this is how we have grown up learning about spiritual growth. Is you start off at the bottom here in the valley and the muck and the mire of sin. As, as David talks about in, in uh, Psalm 40, when it says, you've rescued me, you lifted me up out of the mire and set my feet on firm ground, that we equate that to like, this is when I was going through my my spiritual drought. Before I knew you, I was in the muck and the mire. And then the goal is to get to the top of the mountain all the way up here with maturity where I can always be happy with Jesus and everything works out great in my life. And it's just me and God forever and everything is wonderful. And so the goal is to no longer be immature at the bottom of the valley, but to somehow speak, you know, get to spiritual maturity at the top of the mountain up there. And what happens is we go to youth camp just like us, we go to youth camp, just like your teenagers in this room. And they're going to youth, youth camp, and you guys right here, you go to camp, and you come back, and your parents say, how is camp? And you say, I've never felt closer to God. Right? And you were absolutely right. That was not a false experience. The experience is not a lie. You really felt closer to God than you ever were. And then you say, every day, I'm going to spend time with God just like at camp. And then what happens by day three? You're in the valley, and you feel like a failure. And you're like, well, I guess I can't have a quiet time with God. I just can't do it. I can't read the Bible like I did at camp, you know? Or you say, how was camp this week? Oh my gosh, it was the most amazing worship experience of my life. And you come back and you're like, why don't we worship here like we did at camp? Well, you know why? Because camp is the mountaintop. That's why. Life is not the mountaintop. God came to Moses and said, hey, Moses, I got a message for you. I need to come say something to my people. I want you to come and spend some time with me. So where does Moses go meet with God? Up on the mountaintop. This is where you can be charismatic in a Baptist church and talk out loud in church. Where does Moses go meet with God? Up on the mountaintop. He comes to meet with God. God. God changes his hair overnight, gray hair overnight. Thank you very much. And then he says, now go tell my people, go tell Pharaoh to let them go. It's time to come home to the promised land. So where does he go? down in the valley. Why? Because that's where he lives, is in the valley. Because that's where life happens, is in the valley. God comes to Abraham. Abraham's hanging out with his sheep in the valley. And he says, Abraham, come spend time with me. Where does he, where does he go to meet with God? Up on the mountaintop. He has this incredible experience with God. And God says, see those stars? I'm gonna give you more kids than those stars in the sky. By the way, go tell your wife. So where does he go? Back down the valley. Why? Because that's where he lives. Because that's where life happens. That's where work happens. That's where school happens. And your after-school jobs and your sports teams and your small groups and all that is in the valley. And what happens is to your kids, there was a survey done by Lifeway Research several years ago, and they asked church-going Baptist teenagers how do you see God at work in your life? Over 70% of them said, I do not. Now, I know that that's not true because God made a promise in Philippians that I will never stop being at work in you until I send my son back again. So I will, I will, until the work is complete, I will always be at work in you. But what happens is they come back from camp they come back from retreat from D now and they feel like I don't feel emotionally the same way I did there, so I must be doing something wrong. And they need us to help them understand what normal life looks like. How do you experience Jesus in difficulty? When you yourself are going through a drought 
and you don't feel intimate with God, and you come to church and you're thinking, I don't feel like singing. I just want to sit and be quiet. You can go to your kids and say, hey, would you just pray for me today? Invite them into your spiritual journey. So now it's just not your journey and your journey, but it's your whole family's spiritual journey together. Guys, I know we're, we're out of time. Let me finish with this. You know, the last thing I would say is this, is that provide a path for your children back to wholeness and holiness. Provide a path back to wholeness and holiness. Proverbs 29, 15 Sorry, typo. 29.15 says, wise discipline imparts wisdom. It may look different in a different translation. In the message, it says, wise discipline imparts uh, wisdom. Meaning, the words that we speak, the way that we discipline our children, equips them to know better how to honor God with their choice the next time. Does that make sense? Because your children are going to learn one of two things from conversations with you when it comes to discipline. Either they're going to learn what not to get caught doing next time. When we say things like, why would you do that? What were you thinking? What was going on in your head? I taught you better than that. Well, then what do they learn? They learn what not to get caught doing the next time. Or we sit and we have a conversation and we lay another spiritual stone of truth in their life. Because wise discipline imparts wisdom. Wisdom so that then when they've walked off the path and they're lost in the woods, the hope is somewhere along the way they hear your voice, they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit reminding them about what it means to be God's daughter, God's son, God's chosen, God's beloved, God's redeemed, God's workmanship. When they hear all the other voices in the culture telling them who they should be, the typical teenager now spends three hours a day, every day of their life, just looking at social media. That's one-eighth of their entire existence on earth is just to look at social media. It's over 10,000 voices potentially a day in their life just on social media telling them what to wear, what, how to dress, what to buy, what color their hair should be, what they should believe, what their orientation should be, how they should vote, everything, everyone telling them who they should be. And what we have to do as parents and as grandparents and guardians is we have to be a clearer voice, a louder voice, a voice of truth reminding them who God has created them to be, reminding them what it means to be rooted and found in him as their sons and daughters. So when they wander off the path, they can see that stone. And not just one stone, but one stone that leads to another and another and another, back to the path of what it means for them to be God's sons and God's daughters. We're gonna end our, the service a little differently today. I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Um, I, I know that um, there are many of you in this room that when we talk about issues of prodigals and people wandering away, it's hard for you because you've got kids not just in their 20s, but some of you have high schoolers and middle schoolers that are already saying, I just don't know about all this stuff yet. And my encouragement to you is don't, don't panic yet. It is a long journey you be faithful. You just continue to pray and you be faithful to where God has you now. And I wanna give you a chance just to come and pray for them this morning. Some of you have got prodigals in your life that are in their 20s and 30s that you're just grieving over that. But I think there's some of you in this room today, even as adults, 
that you are the prodigal. You're the one that walked away. And not necessarily that you walked away from your faith, but maybe it's that you come every Sunday and there's something inside of you that you feel that you don't quite fit, that you put on the jacket, you put on the coat, you put on the dress and you come and you, you wanna have the right appearance also. But for you are saying, I, I don't, I'm just, I don't know that I'm even here anymore. And we wanna give you a chance to reconnect also. I mean, here's the deal. He's not afraid. God is not intimidated by my brokenness. God is not put off by my doubt. God does not roll his eyes when I mess up. He is a loving father who recklessly pursues you. Would you stand with me? Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this privilege of being moms and dads, being grandparents. We don't want to take that privilege lightly. God, I just pray for these students in the room that you would honor the path that they are on. God, that your Holy Spirit would be loud and clear and true in their life. I pray for us as parents and grandparents, whether our kids are at home or far away, that we would know the right words, the right looks and touches, and God, that you would be pleased with us as your sons and daughters as we raise the next generation of your sons and daughters. This morning, maybe there's some of you that just wanna come and just have someone pray for you about your family, that Steve and a couple others are down here this morning and they would love to just pray with you. Maybe there's some of you, your family just wants to come and just recommit your family for a moment. Just kneel right here together. We wanna give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe there's someone in this church right now that you yourself have been coming here for a while and you've never said yes. And the amazing thing is that story ends. Is when the son comes back home again, the father just runs to greet the son and says, you will always have this name. And God is just wanting you to come back.